Last year, to celebrate his 100th birthday, Captain Tom Moore walked 100 laps of his garden and remarkably raised nearly 33 million pounds for the NHS. He was subsequently knighted by the Queen uh, in the gardens at Windsor Castle because he was considered worthy of that honour. Just over two weeks ago, on the 26th of March, the British Olympic Marathon trials took place on a course around Kew Gardens. I was looking to see if Paul Finlay was there, but I don't think he quite managed it. Um, but a guy by the name of Chris Thompson, who was 40 years of age, he came in first in two hours, 10 minutes. That's 26.2 miles in two hours and 10 minutes. And he was found worthy to represent Great Britain at the Summer Olympics in Tokyo in the marathon event. Stephanie Davis, she won the women's trial and so she was considered worthy to represent Great Britain in the women's marathon in Tokyo this coming summer. Recently, I was asked to endorse an application for an MBE or an OBE for a church leader here in Southampton who has done a huge amount of work on behalf of the homeless, vulnerable adults and children, fostering community youth programs and much, much more. I'm sure that he will be found worthy of an honour maybe later this year. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4 and verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a word picture here because uh, Greek words in the New Testament often had quite a significant meaning behind them. And the Greek word in the New Testament for worthy always related to scales. Ancient scales consisted of two pans that would hang from a balance beam. To measure, say, a pound of corn or wheat, not that they measured in pounds in those days, but if we were to measure a pound of corn or wheat, you would put a pound metal weight on one pan and then pour in corn or wheat into the other pan until the two pans balanced. Um, many, many years ago in our banks, they used to have those balance scales with two pounds. And uh, you might take a bag full of pennies or coins in and uh, you'd say how much was in the bag and they put it on there and then they put an equal weight. So you're probably familiar with the idea. The word worthy in the Greek is axios, which literally was used to describe something of equal weight or value. This Greek word axios um, literally referred to the axis from which the scales hung. Our English word axis comes from that biblical Greek word worthy which literally means a fixed reference line for measurement. So to be found worthy 
is to have equal weight or matching value. Now keep that kind of word picture in mind and consider what comes to mind when I quote these verses from this Bible. John said, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. This is John the Baptist. He's literally saying, I do not measure up to Jesus in any shape or form. I am nowhere near the worth or the value of Jesus. And then in the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son, realizing what a mess he'd made of his life, he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please make me a hired servant. He considered that he no longer measured up to the worth or the value of sonship within his father's house. And as Paul said, as I mentioned just then, he urges us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. We have been called into sonship, into daughtership with, the, with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been called into his saving grace through his precious blood. And Paul is literally saying, live a life that measures up to the call and the price that Jesus paid on your behalf. And then in Hebrews, the writer says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as the apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as a builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Jesus is worthy of the greatest honor. And I want just to show you very simply, very quickly, how Jesus is worthy of all honor and all glory and all praise. In Revelation 5, which Gemma read to us, we see John capturing a vision. John, the, the, the disciple, was exiled on Patmos, which was an island just off of Turkey. He was imprisoned there, and that's where he died. But whilst he was there in prison, he receives what we know as the book of Revelation in the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's a very hard book to understand. It's very complicated, and there are all manner of interpretations, but this is what one commentator describes the book of Revelation all about. He says, the book of Revelation was written around the end of the first century and is a prophetic critique of the Roman Empire. It is a daring proclamation that Jesus Christ is the world's new emperor. Revelation is a wild and creative portrayal of the conflict between the beastly empire of Rome and the peaceful reign of the Lamb of God. What it foretells is the eventual triumph of the kingdom of Christ. It uses the genre of macabre comedy, hideous monsters frequently conquered by a little lamb, a slaughtered lamb who lives again. This is how John the Revelator describes the triumph of Jesus over the Roman Empire 
and all beastly empires to come. It's a complicated book, but Revelation chapter 5 is a thrilling, exciting picture that I just want to take you to for a few minutes. Because here in Revelation 5, we see this word worthy repeated again and again and again. Why is Jesus worthy of all honor and praise and glory? First of all, he is worthy because he is victorious. In verse 5, it says, the lion of the tribe of Judah has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, you and I know that the lion is reckoned to be the king of the jungle, perhaps the most fearsome of all beasts, because every animal in the jungle is on the lookout for the lion. To the Jews, the lion as a symbol came to represent blessing, majesty, power, and even divine protection. And if we go right back to the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 49, there was a prophecy by, uh, concerning Judah that was spoken over him by his father on his deathbed. It speaks of Judah as a young lion, and it says the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. That was a direct prophecy concerning Jesus. In, and so in the first book of the Bible, we see a prophetic reference to the coming of Jesus, who would be victorious. And here in Revelation 5, the last book of the Bible, this prophecy is fulfilled, which was spoken nearly 2,000 years before. We now see it's declared as fulfilled because on the cross, Jesus, like a lion, he overcame the powers of Satan. The Bible says that he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Colossians chapter 2. Satan's power was defeated on the cross. Jesus humiliated the devil. He destroyed the power of eternal death and he triumphed over the consequences of sin. Now, Paul reminds us in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is worthy because of his victory on the cross. He says, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word victory in the Greek is nikos, and it's where Nike got its name <coughs> from on its brand of uh, <coughs> all sorts of sportswear. Nike means victory, and Jesus claimed the victory on the cross and through his resurrection over sin and death. John also, in one of his epistles, he reminds us that Jesus is worthy because 
he is worthy of this victory because when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. But, says John, the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. There's a great hymn that Stuart Townend wrote some years ago called The Power of the Cross. And this is one part of that hymn. It says, now the daylight flees. Now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head, curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life, finished the victory cry. This the power of the cross, son of God slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. Jesus is worthy because he is victorious. But also in Revelation 5, we see that Jesus is worthy because he was sinless. In verse 9, it says, they sing, for you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God. Here we see Jesus not as a lion, but as a lamb. When Jesus began his public ministry, John the Baptist introduced him, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this kind of language was fully understood by the Jewish people because within their culture, they understood the significance and the symbolism of a lamb being sacrificed for sin. Back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 23, God said, you must sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. So they understood what lambs were all about and how on the Day of Atonement, sacrifices needed to be made to atone for the sins of the people. However, the thought of a man being a lamb slain for the sins of the world was a completely new concept to them. And John the Baptist introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The problem in the Old Testament was that the countless lambs that were offered annually to atone for sins of the people never made the people feel better afterwards. Because the debt of sin was never fully cancelled or taken away. And the writer to the Hebrews understood this when he writes in Hebrews chapter 10 these words. He says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once and for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But he then goes on in verses 10 uh, to 12, but he says, for God... God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, 
offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because Jesus was totally sinless and he is worthy of all praise because he was the sinless lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. If you are in debt, and I mean significant debt, the only way your debt can be cancelled is by someone who is in credit. And we all have a debt of sin and there's nothing that we could ever do to cancel that debt of sin. We are guilty as charged, as the scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the standard that God expects of each and every one of us. However, because Jesus was sinless, he was able to cancel all the wrongs we had ever done by his sacrifice on the cross. It says in Colossians 2, he cancelled or wiped out the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to his cross. And then in Hebrews, it says Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is worthy because he is victorious. Jesus is worthy because he is sinless. But just finally, Jesus is worthy because he is glorious. And in verse 12 of Revelation 5, it says they sang worthy is Christ the Lamb who was slain. He is worthy to receive great power and might, wealth, wisdom, honour and glory and praise. As this picture for John comes to its climax, and initially John was weeping because he didn't think anyone was worthy, and then Jesus is revealed to him, and as it comes to a climax, he sees that Jesus is worthy to receive every accolade that can ever be spoken. Heaven is excited. Heaven bursts forth with a thunderous voice of a choir, listen, made up of a thousand million angels singing praise to Jesus. Imagine that, a thousand million angels singing praise to Jesus. What accolades are being declared in heaven that Jesus is worthy of all praise? It's a picture of what we are going to one day join in. So, Time is the preparation for eternity, as is often said. And one day we should join in that great voice saying, Jesus, you are truly worthy. So the challenge to us this morning comes from the words of the Apostle Paul. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to praise you and thank you that you alone were found worthy. Thank you, Jesus, that you overcame the power of sin. You are victorious because you lived a sinless life and you are worthy of all praise and honour. Lord, receive it from us today and may we live lives worthy 
of the price you paid for us, worthy of the call that you place upon us to follow you, worthy of those who are to reflect your love to our broken world. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.